following is a message from Trinity Grace Church in San Antonio, Texas. For more information, please visit trinitygracesa.org. Welcome once again to Trinity Grace. We are so glad that you're here, especially if you're a guest with us this morning. Many of you will know that last week we began looking at the book of Proverbs together. And we're going to be looking at this book the entire summer here on Sunday mornings. And Proverbs, as many of you know, is classified as wisdom literature. The word wisdom is actually used 45 times in the 31 chapters that we find in the book of Proverbs. And last week, we defined wisdom. We defined wisdom as skill in the art of godly living. Skill in the art of godly living. It's competence with regard to the realities of life. And Proverbs wants to guide us in skill with issues that we face on a daily basis. Proverbs gives us divine wisdom when it comes to relationships, decisions, work and rest, emotions, speech, money, time management. And last week we saw that wisdom is something that we all desperately need. Living amidst the complexities of this fallen world requires wisdom that comes from God. More wisdom than we're able to muster up on our own. Last week, we talked about how you can know a lot about certain things, but knowledge is not the same thing as wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to navigate the complexities of this fallen world in such a way that it honors God and it leads to a flourishing life. If you think about it, a majority of the decisions that you make in your life are not necessarily right or wrong. They don't necessarily fall into the categories of black and white. A majority of the questions that you ask in life fall under gray areas where you've got lots of freedom to choose different options. I'm not saying that there's not right and wrong. There very clearly is in Scripture. But questions like, who will you marry? What job are you going to take next? How are you going to spend your money? What are the right words to say in this particular situation? What's the next best step that I can take in this relationship to show love to this person? These are the kind of questions, the kind of forks in the road that we experience every day. And wisdom is what we need in order to navigate our way in the midst of these choices. We need wisdom because unwise decisions, as you know, can bring lots of pain to our lives. Wisdom is valuable. The one who finds wisdom finds life. Solomon was given the opportunity to ask God for anything. He could have asked for wealth and riches, prestige and power, but he asked for wisdom because he knew that to find wisdom meant to find life. The one who finds wisdom is building on a solid foundation. And we saw last week that God wants to give us wisdom. We saw that wisdom is precious because it brings us inner peace and contentment. We we saw that wisdom has the ability to show us how life was created to be lived. We saw that wisdom leads to a life of security and contentment. But but this wisdom, it's got to come from outside of ourselves. You and I are not the repositories of wisdom. We need an outside source to give it to us. And this wisdom can be ours through Jesus Christ, who's the incarnation of wisdom. Remember how Paul put it in his letter to the Colossians. He said that in Jesus, 
are hidden all the treasures of wisdom. So as we follow Jesus in our lives, we can have all the benefits that wisdom brings. And this week, we're going to be looking at another passage from the introduction of Proverbs. The introduction of Proverbs is Proverbs chapter 1 through 9, a prolonged introduction. What is wisdom? How can you get it? Why would you want it? And then Proverbs chapters 10 through 31 are basically Proverbs as you know them, dealing with very specific aspects of your everyday life. We're going to launch into that next week as we look at what Proverbs has to say about our words, our speech. But throughout the introduction in chapters 1 through 9, we see Solomon, who's the author of Proverbs, addressing his son. It's a father who wants to see his son succeed in life. He wants to see his son embrace wisdom. And this morning, we see a father passing along wisdom that's desperately needed for life in the midst of this fallen world. To see what the father has to say to his son, let's look at Proverbs chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. It's printed for you in your bulletin. You can follow along as I read. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For a length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you'll find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Well, this is God's word and he gives it to us because he loves us and he wants us to know him. As you know, social media has exploded over the past 15 years. I still remember the first time I logged into Facebook back in 2004. At that point, Facebook was brand new and most people hadn't yet even heard about it. In fact, you had to have a university-issued email address to even open an account. Now, Facebook, up to this point, this, the, today, uh, Facebook has more than 2 billion users. And it's not just Facebook that explodes over the past 15 years. There's over 330 million users on Twitter. Instagram recently topped 1 billion users. Pinterest has over 250 million users. Almost everyone, you know, is using social media, looking at people's pictures, sharing thoughts and feelings, connecting with one another over the internet. Most people when this revolution began, expected that social media growth would make people feel more connected. You would expect that people are building bonds with one another and experiencing connection, and that does happen sometimes. However, there have been numerous studies, some of which you're likely aware of, conducted that show that social media, instead of making us feel more connected with one another, by and large actually makes us more lonely. A few years back, Atlantic Magazine analyzed research on how we're more densely networked than ever, yet for all this connectivity that we have, we have never been lonelier as a group of people, as a society. 
What the studies have found is that we deeply want what Facebook or Instagram or Twitter offers. We want connection. We want friendship. We want community. We want to be known. But we can't have those benefits without actually having conversations with people, without seeing people face-to-face, without some awkwardness involved, without life-on-life contact. Social media is showing us that we want all the benefits but none of the responsibilities when it comes to relationship. We want the fruit of the relationship without having real flesh and blood relationships. And it doesn't take long for people to realize that's just not possible. In many ways, this is exactly what our passage this morning is hitting upon. It's telling us that we can't have the benefits of wisdom without having a relationship with the one who created wisdom. This passage shows us that wisdom is at its core a relational endeavor. That's the key point for this morning. If you want wisdom, you've got to be in relationship. Think about what we just read from Proverbs chapter 3. I think it's safe to assume that we all want the benefits that we just read about in this passage, the benefits that wisdom brings. You see these benefits in the even verses of your passage, like uh, verses 2, 4, 6, 8, and 10. You see these benefits in those even verses. You see length of days and peace, favor in the sight of God and man, straight paths, spiritual and physical healing and refreshment, blessing and work, the delight of God. These are all things that we want. These are the fruits or the benefits of wisdom. But we can't have those benefits without being connected to the obligation of relationship that we see in the odd verses of our passage. Verses 3, 5, 7, 9. In order to have the blessings we read about in this passage, we've got to keep commandments. We've got to remember the Lord's love and faithfulness. Trust in the Lord with all of our heart. Fear the Lord and turn from evil. Honor the Lord with all that we have. Welcome God's discipline in our life. All of these obligations, I hope you noticed, are relational in nature. This passage shows us that wisdom only comes through relationship. In other words, we can't have the benefits that wisdom brings without being relationally tied to the one who supplies those benefits. Wisdom is all about relationship. The foundation of wisdom is relationship with God. Without that relationship, wisdom can't really be experienced. And this means that to the degree that you've got a relationship with God, to that degree, you're going to be one who walks in wisdom and experiences its benefits. We see from this passage what relationship with God looks like. There are highly relational terms used throughout the passage, and they're meant to characterize how we relate to God. As we relate to God in the ways that are outlined for us in this passage, we'll find that we experience the blessings and the benefits that wisdom brings to our lives. But before we dive into this passage this morning, it's important to say that we should never approach our relationship with God as a means to an end. And we do it all the time. We should never approach our relationship with God as a means to an end. In other words, we don't primarily want relationship with God so that we can get certain benefits. We, we want relationship with God because we get God. You experience this in marriage sometimes. You don't want relationship with your wife. Hopefully you don't. It won't last very long if you're just looking for the benefits that she can provide. 
I want relationship with Rachel because of Rachel herself. The benefits are kind of like icing on the cake. Relationship with God is an end in itself, but with that relationship comes certain benefits. And we can enjoy these benefits as we deepen the relationship. And so we have to always ask, are we interested in God himself? Or are we only interested in what he can give us? We have to be sure to set our hearts not on the gifts which can fail us, but on the giver who can never fail us. So with that in mind, let's take a look at the relational aspects of this passage. Verses 1 through 4 were a kind of introduction that set up the importance of relationships. Everything really hinges on verse 3 in this passage. In verse 3, we see the father tell his son, Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And these words, steadfast love and faithfulness, um, they are words that are used throughout the Old Testament to describe the character of God. In fact, steadfast love is the term that is most often used in the Old Testament that reminds us of how God relates to his people. It's a word that reminds us of God's covenant love, his never-ending love, his unfailing love, a love that binds himself to us. The father wants his son to always have that love in front of his face, front and center in his mind. He wants him to bind that love around his neck and write it on his heart. He wants the Lord's steadfast love to be what defines his son's life. And this is an important reminder for us because we often allow other things to define us. We look to things like performance or approval of other people or beauty or money or accumulation of stuff. We look to these things to define us, to tell us who we are. We're often more defined by what we do, whether it's good things like work and relationships Or oftentimes we're defined by what we do in negative ways, like failure or struggles. We allow those things to define us, and they were never meant to define us. They're not big enough to bear the weight of our souls. But verse 3 reminds us that the most fundamental thing about us, the thing that can bear the weight of our souls, the primary thing that should shape us is the steadfast love of the Lord. We must constantly remind ourselves of this love The foundation for our relationship with God is his own steadfast love and faithfulness towards us. If we don't get this first, then we'll never have wisdom. We'll never have true relationship with God. And lots of things are going to try to take your attention off of this truth. That's why Solomon wants his son to bind this truth around his neck, to imprint it upon his heart, because we've got to constantly remind ourselves, keeping this truth front and center all the time, that God loves you, that he is faithful towards you, that he will never leave you nor forsake you. That is his promise to us. And once we get that, once we get that God has become our friend by binding himself to us in love and faithfulness, we can move on to see some relational aspects that the father wants his son to understand. Because of God's great love and faithfulness towards us, we've got a responsibility in our relationship to him. We can respond to God's love, respond to the love that we've received. And we see this response outlined for us in verses 5 through 10. In these verses, we see three words that really jump out that highlight our responsibility when it comes to relationship with God. The words that jump out are trust, 
humility, and honor. Trust, humility, which actually the word's not in the passage, but follow me. You'll see where I'm getting it from. And honor. These are three things that must be in place if we want to grow in relationship with God, if we want to grow in wisdom. First, we see trust in verse 5. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. The word trust in this verse literally means to throw yourself down on your face in complete reliance. One commentator said it would be like doing a belly flop on God with all of our sin, all of our failure, all of our fears. It's letting your full weight down on God. Trust is the first building block that has to be in place if we want wisdom. As we place our trust in God, he promises in this verse to make our paths straight. In other words, he'll lead and guide us into goodness and what's best. If we want relationship with God, we've got to trust or rely on him with all of our heart, with all of who we are. And it's not just an intellectual assent. Oftentimes, Presbyterians are guilty of thinking if we just think the right things, then we're all good. But this is more than that. It's a call to the entire person to lay the full weight of our affections, our emotions, and our intellect upon him. Trust is really about our relationship with God's authority. It means we acknowledge him in all areas of our life, recognizing that God has something to say about every aspect of our lives. He's got something to say about relationships and sexuality, money and work, rest and friendship. There's nothing off limits when it comes to God. This word acknowledge is a word used for relational knowing all through the Old Testament. It can actually better be translated desire his presence. Acknowledge, desire his presence. We are created to trust God, to desire his presence in every area of our lives. The second thing we see that has to be in place for relationship with God is humility. We see humility stand out in verse 7, where Solomon says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. This is a call to humility in relationship. It's, uh, it's, it's a call to be teachable. We'll never have any hope of relationship with God. We'll never have any wisdom in our lives if we think we're the smartest person in the relationship. But if we're willing to be led, if we're willing to listen, then we can have healing and refreshment. We all know what it's like to deal with someone who's wise in their own eyes. More often than not, I am that person in my own eyes. Remember a few summers ago, had the opportunity to travel with some friends to do some fly fishing in Montana. It was an amazing trip. The problem was I was wise in my own eyes. You see, I had fly fished just enough in my life to be dangerous, meaning that I didn't really want to admit that I had forgotten how to fly fish when I went to Montana with all my friends who were amazing fly fishers, fishermen. And if you've ever fly fished, you know it's not really like riding a bike, at least not for me, it's not. You can forget how to do it really easily. And if you try to do it and you don't really know what you're doing or how to do it, you can get in a tangled mess pretty fast and it's probably the most miserable time you'll ever have standing by a body of water. And it was so tempting for me as we went on this trip to be wise in my own eyes and say, you know, I don't need any help. I've done this before. I know what I'm doing. Don't worry about me. And just brush aside the help that was offered. But thankfully, I did not do that. 
In fact, I spent the whole first day of the trip relearning how to fly fish, and I'm glad I did because the week would have been full of frustration if I hadn't. But because I let someone who's an expert fly fisherman teach me, I was able to have a blast that week catching tons of trout on a beautiful river. Because I was teachable, I was able to experience lots of enjoyment. And as I'm telling this story now, it sounds like I'm patting myself on the back. I do not mean that to be the intention at all. But it's a good illustration for how our relationship with God works. When we acknowledge our need, when we're teachable, when we admit that we don't know what we're doing, it's then that we can experience refreshment as we learn to follow the one who knows best. A friend of mine said the key difference between wisdom and knowledge, the key difference between wisdom and knowledge is that wisdom increases our awareness of our, infallib- of our fallibility. Wisdom increases an awareness of our, in, our, in, of our fallibility while knowledge often diminishes it. Wisdom keeps us teachable. Third characteristic that must be in place for relationship with God is honor. We see honor highlighted in verse 9 where it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. And the Hebrew word translated honor here means to treat the Lord as weighty. To treat the Lord as weighty. The root of the verb means to be heavy. Something that's heavy. The idea of honor is important for any relationship. Honor is putting someone else ahead of yourself. It is to regard someone with great respect, to make them weighty in your mind and in your heart. And no real relationship can be experienced without honor. Solomon goes right for the heart here by touching on wealth. He does this oftentimes in Proverbs because he knows, like we know, that money and wealth is often one of the things that is most important to us. It's one of the weightiest things in our lives. If we've got wealth, we've got security. If we've got wealth, then we have ability, we have freedom, we have choices, we have opportunities. And as we honor the Lord with our wealth, something that's oftentimes most important in our hearts and in our minds, we are actually showing him first place because we give our best to what we care about most. This is an encouragement to give God what is best. He says the first fruits, don't give him the leftovers, give him the first fruits, not what's left over, but what's first and best. We're called to honor God with the best of our time, with the best of our energy, with the best of our relational capacity for others, with the best of our love, with the best of our money. The father's speech concludes in verses 11 and 12 as he reminds his son to welcome the Lord's discipline. He reminds his son that God corrects those that he loves. He refuses to allow his children to become entrenched in ways of life that will destroy them. In fact, I've said it before, but it's something my mind goes back to often. If we are never being corrected, if we are never being disciplined, then it's likely that God has given up on us, allowing us to go our own way into destructive patterns. It's oftentimes the best thing that can happen to us to be caught red-handed, to be disciplined by the Lord, to have a friend in our lives that points us in the right direction, even when the conversation is tough. It means that God has not given up on you. He still wants to bring you back into relationship with him. And if we want to experience life and freedom, then we can welcome discipline because we know that it leads to our ultimate benefit. God wants a relationship with us and the key ingredients for that relationship to flourish are trust, humility, and honor. 
And as we relate to God with these characteristics, you and I will experience the benefits that wisdom has the ability to bring. At its core, wisdom is a relational endeavor. The foundation of wisdom is a relationship with God. So in order to experience the benefits of wisdom, we've got to tend to the obligations of that relationship. Things like trust, humility, and honor. We've got to know the one who made us in this world. We've got to know the one whose very character is wise if we want wisdom. And since it's all about relationship, you know that in order for any relationship to work, there has to be intentional time spent cultivating that relationship. You don't just grow relationship passively. You know this in your human relationships, maybe relationship with your spouse, your roommate, your best friend. There is an active element to relational growth. There's got to be time put on the calendar, plans made to spend time with one another, intentional conversations that are had among one another. So what would it look like for you to cultivate relationship with the Lord? I wonder if you've ever given that question any thought. Do you believe that your experience, do you believe that your relationship with God could be different? That it could grow and improve? It's important to understand that you cannot be any more justified than you already are right now if you have placed your faith in Jesus. You are loved by God today, tomorrow, and forever the same through Jesus. You cannot be more justified than you are, but you can experience God in deeper and more profound ways. You can experience his presence in different ways. In other words, your status before him cannot change. It is always secure in Christ, but your relationship with him can ebb and flow the way that you experience him. Our experience of God and the wisdom he brings will ebb and flow in relation to the trust and humility and honor that we have towards God. We'll grow in wisdom as we grow in our relationship with the Lord. And it's important to know that wisdom is not a one-time event. It's not where you all of a sudden get it. Instead, it's about a relationship that has to be nurtured. And we know how this works. If we want to nurture and cultivate a relationship with someone, it takes time, it takes effort. This is where it's important to remember that the Christian life is not opposed to effort. The Christian life is not opposed to effort. The Christian life is opposed to merit. You can't earn anything from God, but we are called to do some things in order to cultivate a relationship with him. I hope that makes sense. It's important to remember that the Christian life is opposed to merit, but not effort. And cultivating our relationship with God, it takes planning. It takes persistence. It takes effort. And we can jump into our relationship with God through lots of different ways, through prayer. We can jump through uh, connection with God in Scripture. We can jump into this relationship through worship, through being here on Sunday mornings with God's people. We can jump into this relationship by being in community with one another, by attending neighborhood groups and summer suppers. It's interesting that in the book of Proverbs, wisdom always comes in the context of community. It's really how the Bible's written. It's written to groups of people, not individuals. That's why it's always a little dis- dis- uh, or alarming to me when, when we read the Bible like it's written to us. It is, but it's written to God's community, his church, his people. 
It's an exciting prospect that your relationship with God can be more, it can be deeper, it can be more fulfilling, it can be cultivated. And as we grow in relationship with God, we'll grow in wisdom, we'll experience the fruits of wisdom that we see in this passage. Wisdom is a path and it grows slowly but surely as we grow in our relationship with God. Like I said earlier in Proverbs 3, we find a father's exhortation to his son. Solomon is pleading with his son to follow his ways, to heed his instruction, to find life. And through these parental passages in Proverbs, God, as our father, is pleading with us to follow his ways, to heed his instruction, to find life. Life, in other words, is on offer to us as we trust the father, as we relate to the father in humility, as we honor our father with all that we are. Life is on offer if we would follow these paths. Wisdom is offered as we grow in relationship with the Lord. But you know as well as I that we often fail to trust. In fact, we often place our trust in lots of other things besides the Lord. We trust in our intellect. We trust in our ingenuity. Oftentimes we trust in our upbringing. We trust in our skill. We trust in our connections with other people and how we network. We fail to live in God's presence as we walk through life. More often than not, we are wise in our own eyes. We think we know best. If you're like me, oftentimes you're not willing to learn. You're not willing to be teachable. And as a result, you grow frustrated and disappointed It's often hard for us to show honor to anyone besides ourselves. Honoring someone else doesn't come naturally to any one of us. Putting someone ahead of our own desires, placing someone in a position of respect is really hard for most of us. And if we're honest, we'd have to confess that we are not the type of sons and daughters that this father is seeking to cultivate in Proverbs chapter 3. It's not us. In fact, we often do the exact opposite of what this father desires for his sons and daughters. And as a result, we don't have wisdom. We forfeit our experience of life. We're immature in our relationship with God and with others. But there is hope. Although it doesn't come from us being better sons and daughters. It doesn't come from us trusting more or being more humble or honoring God more. It comes as we look to the true son who did these things perfectly for us. We know that there was one son who listened and obeyed to his father's commands perfectly for us. One who perfectly trusted the father with all that he was, throwing his full weight upon that father. One who chose humility over prestige, leaving honor and glory and worship in order to take on human flesh and dwell among man. One who honored God perfectly with all of who he was. And this son is Jesus, the true son who succeeds where we so often fail. And as we trust in him, we can have a relationship with the the father. As we're connected to the true son, we can grow in our identity as sons and daughters of our heavenly father. Being connected to Jesus is the foundation of all wisdom because Jesus is a person that we can know and he's the one who knows it all. He's the one who knows how money and work and family and words and emotions are supposed to work in our lives. You get wisdom by being in relationship with the source of all wisdom. Look, if you want wisdom, what you want this morning is Jesus. Jesus is wisdom. 
Wisdom that became flesh and dwelt among us. You want wisdom, you need Jesus. And you can know him. There's an old story about a wealthy Roman who grew disgusted with his son, so he disinherited this son. And he made his slave Marcellus the recipient of all of his wealth. But he wanted to tell his son this. It wasn't going to be a secret thing. And so before he died, he called his son in and he told him, you're not going to get anything. Marcellus is getting everything. But I'm going to do one thing for you. I'm going to give you one thing and I'm going to let you request it. Anything you want, it'll be yours. The rest is going to Marcellus. What one thing would you like me to give you? The father asked his son and the son said, I'll take Marcellus. The son was wise enough to know that if he got Marcellus, he got everything. You want to be wise? You really only have to have one thing. Take Jesus. With Jesus, you'll get everything. With Jesus, you'll get eternal life. With Jesus, you'll get a father who favors you. With Jesus, you'll get the enduring presence of the Holy Spirit. With Jesus, you'll get righteousness. With Jesus, you'll get the forgiveness of sin. With Jesus, you'll get a clean conscience. With Jesus, you'll get a future. With Jesus, you'll get access to wisdom. If you want wisdom, you need relationship. You need Jesus. Let me pray for us this morning. Jesus, we are thankful for the way that you have come in order to show us who you are. Thankful for the way that you have come and you are the wisdom sent from God so that we might know him more fully and be brought into relationship with him. We pray this morning that you would encourage us. Encourage us as we seek to cultivate a relationship that you have begun with us. A relationship that is secure because it is founded upon your steadfast love and mercy. And we pray that that would give us the great joy of living as men and women that have been set free. Set free to love you and to be in a relationship with you. We pray that you would press that into our hearts deeply this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.